This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 111. Today's episode is all about disrupting the status quo. A much, much, much more lasting way to create a unification is by meeting people where they are and then educating them from that place. Then I get these comments, people being like, okay, so when you run into a misogynistic person, you have to just meet them where they are and just speak their language. I'm not going to just, you know, have to lower myself. And I'm like, okay, well then good luck because the minute you get outraged as your first thing, guess what they're going to say? Look at this hysterical woman. Actually, meeting people where they are is the thing that creates lasting change because then you can educate them in a way where their armor is down, not when their armor is up. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Okay, guys, real talk. It has been quite some time since I've asked for a review on Apple Podcasts app, and I have to tell you that those are so important to the growth of this show. So if Mind Love has been integral in your life, if it's been helpful for you, if it's something that you love or you listen to on a regular basis, if you wouldn't mind going to the podcast app on Apple, on your iPhone, on your desktop, whatever it takes, and leave a five-star review, it would mean the world to me. Hi friends and wild minds. I am a questioner. I question everything. Always have, always will. Even though sometimes it does get me into trouble. See, questioning reveals gaps. Usually mindset gaps between logic or beliefs and behavior. Well, the first time I remember questioning something and it causing a tizzy was when my stepdad came into my life. And I'll start by saying, I have a really amazing stepdad. And he is Italian and was raised in a very traditional Italian home. And he had this belief that the man sits at the head of the table. Mind you, this was like 1992. Well, this seven-year-old girl immediately saw the sexism in that and would not have it. Eventually, he stopped pushing, and I'm happy to take credit for a little more equality in that household. The second time I remember questioning something really getting me into trouble was when I was 11 years old at church. For those of you that are new here, I grew up pretty religious, although I don't identify with a religion anymore. No judgment to those who do find it helpful, but it's just not for me. Well, by pretty religious, I mean that we were at church like five days a week, youth groups, leadership training, choir, and then all these other random events like this one in particular called True Love Waits. And it was like the Christian version of sex ed, which was devoid of any actual sexual education. And it was all about how we should save the canoodling for marriage. Dude, looking back, it was pretty intense. Our parents bought us all these gold bands that looked like wedding bands, and they represented our vow to Jesus Christ to save sex for our husbands. My vow lasted about five more years, and there was no room for same-sex marriages at this event, so that wasn't even discussed. Well, they were drilling in the trauma of abortion, and I raised my hand and asked, but wait, if babies go straight to heaven, 
because they're innocent, as the Bible says, and this life is a testing ground full of pain and struggle, aren't we doing babies a favor just aborting them straight to heaven? Our pastor did not like that. And even saying it out loud now, <laughs> it sounds a little um, confronting and maybe insensitive. But I mean, I was 11. I was just trying to make sense of life. Well, I was immediately escorted from the room and had to speak with the church counselor. And that question has still never been answered for me. Okay, story time's over. But here's the thing. All positive change has come from questioning the status quo. Civil rights, women's rights, LGBT rights, most of the important changes in the world are because of those brave people willing to raise their hands and ask why, and then fight for the solution. Any balance in an unfair distribution of power has started with questioning how things are right now. And it might seem like a lot of these things are just about a balance of power, but there are so many ridiculous things that we all just accept as normal every single day. Like the fact that we wipe our butts with fistfuls of dry paper and call it clean. That is both wasteful and disgusting, frankly. Or that period products are pretty terrible. Most women stick a chemical and bleach-filled glorified cotton swab up their girl box 15% of the month. And they still have panty stains. I am not just trying to gross you out. These are problems that our guest today, Mickey Agrawal, has made it her mission to solve. She did this with a product called Tushy, which is an affordable bidet solution for your toilet, and Thinks, which are period panties. This woman has faced the pushback from the patriarchy, fought girl-on-girl hate, ridden the roller coaster of building businesses as a female CEO, and she's also the author of a must-read book called Disrupt Her. So what does this all have to do with you and your life right now? Chances are there are things in your life that you're not happy with or that could be better. And like we talked about two episodes ago, episode 109, by the time you're 35, you're basically a series of habits and beliefs, just going through life, repeating yourself. Change starts with a question. And today's interview is going to teach you how to do that. And stick around to the end because I'm going to give you an exercise that'll help you get clear on the beliefs that are creating your life right now. And in this interview, we're going to get into some of the major areas of our lives that we should be pushing the status quo so that we give a whole body hell yes to everything in our lives, our work, love, relationships, your mission, all the things. So three things we will learn are how to use curiosity to expand your life the importance of meeting people where they are when pushing for change, and how to get less offended by other people's actions and opinions. Before we dive in, I want to make sure you know about the Morning Mind Love. It's the easiest way to start each day with a little reminder about how magical you really are. I get messages from people every single day about how the morning mind love is their favorite way to start the day, or that the message that just came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. You'll get a free guided affirmation meditation to align your subconscious with your highest self, and you'll get a really cool booklet of Powerless so you can start getting clear on what you want and what really makes you happy. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Mickey Agrawal. Oh my God, I'm so happy to be here. 
<laughs> so mm-hmm. I loved your book. It's one of my favorite books that I read this year. So thank you yes. for writing it. <laughs> what did you like about it? Well, I consume a lot of books because often I'll read the books of people I interview, but a lot of times by the time I'm like a third of the way in, I'm like, okay, well, I get it all. I don't need to read the rest of it. <laughs> but yours was like a new chapter did that to me every single time. So it was like just the right amount of content with a new idea, each chapter and just something new for me to kind of reflect on. So I loved it. It felt like I was reading like 13 books in one. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I love that. So for my listeners who haven't read the book, what do you mean when you say disruptor? And what was your journey to actually becoming a disruptor? I think a disruptor is just somebody who just questions everything around them and just recognizes that everything around us is made up. Time is made up. Money is made up. Different constructs are made up. Education system is made up. The notion of how we should exist by societal standards is all made up. And if we get to really understand that we can question all of it, understand the historical context of where those sort of common beliefs come from, and then like really believe that we have agency over our own lives and we can decide for ourselves what we want it to be, forgetting what everyone else in society says that's a disruptor, someone who's really comfortable questioning and challenging and then changing things for themselves in a way that's in integrity and positive for the world and for themselves. So yeah. And I think my background is in the last 15 years as an entrepreneur, looking at categories that have been taboo by society standards. The food system is kind of taboo. It's hard to talk about food with people. Don't tell me how to eat. You know, people say that, you know, or I'm an adult, I can eat whatever I want. So like talking about healthy food and healthy food choices has been an interesting dance. And then looking at the taboo, the the period taboo, nobody wants to talk about periods and nobody wanted, there hadn't been any innovation in the period category, the feminine hygiene category, because it's such a taboo topic. And there had only been three innovations in the entire 20th century in this category because it's so uncomfortable and therefore nobody's innovating because nobody's talking about it. And in the poop space, my current business, Tushy, there has been zero real innovation in this country since the late 1800s. Toilet paper is brought to America in the late 1800s and has not changed since then. And so to create a modern bidet was really, I think, important. And, and we'll get to that in a second. But I think that you know, my 15 years, I got so much pushback and people just kept saying, no one's going to invest. No one's going to buy your products. No one's interested in talking about this. You're uncouth. You're totally like just trying to get attention. What are you doing? And it was just like so much pushback from society, from people. And it turns out that people are interested in trying new things. It turns out that people do want to question and challenge the status quo. And people are just, people need permission to do that. And I think that when all of a sudden someone starts talking about it and then people start talking about it, people are like, yeah, why aren't we talking about it? Why is this? Why can't we talk about money openly? Why is it so societally uncouth to talk about money? Why do we have to get serious as we grow up? Why does more stuff equal a better life? Why can't we talk about really tough topics like the patriarchy and feminism without it being so fraught with like outrage and connotation? Why do we live in a culture of complaining where 
it's so acceptable to complain instead of just finding solutions. It's just like we've been indoctrinated in so many ways to accept the way things are. People are ready for change. And I believe it. And this book really sort of helps unpack it. It's funny because I can see why certain things have been kind of considered uncouth. Like you can see maybe why back in the day it was uncomfortable for women to talk about their periods. But then there's the other things like money. Some things are not okay to talk about. And I'm doing air quotes around okay. But why? How does that even end up happening? Well, I mean, okay, well, let's first get back to the statement of like, why is it uncomfortable to talk about a woman's period? Like a woman's period is a thing that creates human life. And it's the blood that literally services the baby of every human being for nine months in utero. And that blood leaves the body when the egg isn't fertilized. And the fact that that's uncomfortable to talk about is a really interesting question. Like, why is that uncomfortable to talk about when it's the most natural thing for every woman to experience? So that's a question. What was the second question? Well, yeah, because so it's ridiculous that it's hard to talk about women's periods for sure. But I can see like how it happened because the patriarchy, you know, (laughs) you know, like it kind of makes sense. But then there's other things like money or even poop that everybody does, but I guess it's kind of embarrassing. But how do these certain topics become this area of being taboo, do you think? I don't know. It could have gone a different way. We could have been a tribe that talked about crapping our pants all day long. (laughs) What happened to us? I think it's all about control and power and the sort of decision makers, the very beginning. I mean, let's just go back to the very, very beginning during the Neolithic time. So before humans were hunter gatherers, right? People just foraged and got just what they needed for themselves, their families. And the rest was open for anyone else who needed to forage themselves. And all of a sudden during the Neolithic times, when they discovered farming practices and people, men that wanted to control and dominate land, that changed the dynamic of power. And it's like all of a sudden people started claiming land as their own, men specifically, and saying like, this is my land, I'm claiming it. And therefore I'm going to choose a woman who's a virgin to be my partner And then I'm going to make sure that our offspring with who's my lineage is going to take control of this land. And then that's when the power dynamics really started. And then all of a sudden the money became uncomfortable to talk about because the really powerful people said that we're going to talk about it in closed rooms Mm -hmm. and do all the deals in closed rooms and make it such that it's uncomfortable to talk about publicly because we want only the people who are in the know in these closed rooms to have access and have these conversations. Because the more you talk about it, the more you have access, the more you feel comfortable, the more you're able to be like, wait, why am I like, how can I earn more? Or how can I build and how can I create? But when you're kind of hush hush about it, it creates these power dynamic structures. And it all stems from the Neolithic times when land started to get divided up and people started claiming land as their own. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. 
So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. So what I find really interesting about you is you tend to find these different markets that are totally underserved and then you just like dominate them. (laughs) But when I hear you talk about tushy or thinks or whatever, you know a lot of the history about it. Like you go deep and find out everything there is about how we got to this place. Do you think that that has been a necessary part of your success or is that just your own curiosity? I think it's a combination. I think I'm just generally like interested in like, wait, how the heck have we been wiping our butts with dry paper since the late 1800s? Like, how are we still killing 15 million trees per year by smearing poop up our butts (laughs) with dry paper? Like, imagine if you jumped in your shower and did not turn the water on and just use dry toilet paper to wipe down your dirtiest bits. Like people would think you're insane. And the fact that we've been so deeply indoctrinated by these Charmin and Scots and Procter and Gamble's and Kimberly Clark's the world to like use this dry paper and purchase this dry paper that by the way, one single roll of toilet paper requires 37 gallons of water to make one roll of toilet paper. The average American uses up to three rolls of toilet paper per week. And so, I mean, it's a crazy amount of waste that can be just literally use one pint of water with each time you use a bidet. And that's all you need to properly clean yourself. And you think about the health concerns, the issues. I mean, indoctrination is just so powerful. It's so deep. And it's important to understand where that comes from. And it all comes from power, power dynamics. It's fascinating and habit. If you level up your toilet paper, you get poop and lotion smeared across your butt. So (laughs) I mean, ew. (laughs) Well, so it's funny because I remember one of the first things that I was suddenly just like, oh my gosh, wait, this is how things work. Why haven't I questioned it before? And I can't remember what it is right now, but after that moment, oh, it was about fluoride and putting fluoride in our water. And I was just like, how is this allowed? And it's not allowed all these other places. So of course I went down the Googling rabbit hole and was even more appalled. But after that, I realized, okay, well, I have to question everything. Like no one's going to question it for me. Just because this is how society evolved doesn't mean that it evolved the best way. But then it kind of goes into, you go down a rabbit hole of wondering, 
okay, is this just, has this gone unnoticed? <laughs> you know, like we n- didn't think to innovate there. Yeah. Or is it on purpose <laughs> in a way? Like, are they trying to hold us back from this new way of doing it? I mean, it's a combination. I think like there's apathy is part of it. It's like, oh, the toilet paper thing's already, the toilet's been solved. And it's like, no, we're, it's so wasteful. I mean, the fact that we're flushing five gallons of fresh water every time we flush is kind of insane. And the fact that we're, like I said, wasting so much resources to do something that doesn't work to properly clean us is insane. And the fact that like, there's this apathy that like, oh, this has been result, this has been kind of solved. I'm not going to think about it. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that ability to be like, wait, if nobody's going to do something about it, then I could do something about it. That agency. And I think that we defer to like sometimes other people to solve it versus like, wait, I'm just as somebody else. And so I can solve this problem. I think it just takes initiative. And I think a lot of times it's just easier to pass the buck, I think. Where do you think you got that initiative? Was it something that like your parents instilled in you? Did you have to learn it over time? Because I mean, so many of us have so many ideas. My cousin swears that she and my other cousin invented Facebook and I'm doing air quotes again because she had this idea of like a binder where she wrote her friends' names down and she's like, you know, Jen and I invented Facebook. And I'm like, no, Tracy, (laughs) if that's how it worked, so did I. (laughs) So how, and you have had multiple ideas and taken them all and grown them into million dollar companies. So how does that set you apart? Like, where did that come from? I think it's just general dissatisfaction with like the status quo. And I think it's like actually like genuine, huh? Like, how is this? How am I bleeding through everything constantly? Like, how am I still jumping in my shower every time I take a shit? Like, how is it possible that I'm like eating pizza and having a horrifyingly bloated, gassy stomach? Which is why I started Wild, which is my gluten-free farm table pizza restaurants. And it's like, it's all these questions of like, how, like, why is this happening? Yeah, I came, you know, I have immigrant family. Yes, you know, my father came to this country with $5 in his pocket. Yes, I don't have a trust fund. Yes, I don't have like, a, which I'm so grateful. I don't. I'm just grateful that I had like loving parents who supported my education and all of that. But I definitely had a lot of the ingredients to really have like the drive to like not succeed. You know what I mean? But I think everyone has that in a lot of ways. So I think that's why I think it's such a possibility for anyone, as long as anyone who wants to just make a change, they can just the awareness that we can change it all. And I think that's the thing. It's like when I met my first entrepreneur friend when I was 22 years old, 23 years old in New York city, standing in line, like at a party, I was like my first invitation to a VIP party. And I was like, Ooh, you know, and you know, standing in line with this, and then like in this long line of the VIP section of the line. So it was clearly not that VIP, but this guy standing in front of me was an entrepreneur. And I was like, Oh, who are you? What's your story? And he told me he started a company called Tree Hugger. It was this really cool thing. And then the next day he invited me to a dinner, a, a breakfast with like 10 other entrepreneurs. And at breakfast, I just was like looking around and being like, wait, this is a possibility. Like being an entrepreneur is possible. Like doing, like making change. Like you don't have to just like wear the monkey suit and like jump in line and work at a job. You just Like you can actually start create things. Like whoa, it was just that notion, that realization that that is, that was enough. That awareness was enough to be like, I could do this too. 
And so I think most people are just oftentimes unaware where they can do that. I think today it's very different because now there's Kickstarter and there's decentralized investments and there's like all these platforms now where you can raise money. And it's not just for like people who are no rich people. I think anyone can start a business today. Today, easier than ever to become an entrepreneur, but I think it's just like pulling the blankets. Like, I don't have to wear my ass to dry paper. I can use water. Ding, ding, ding. It's like, wait, I don't have to like wear the monkey suit and go and work at a job. I can actually create my own world and my own business, my own possibility. And I can like change things around if I so choose. And it's just that genuine awareness is, I feel like, still unclear to a lot. So it's why the book Disruptor is really about like being like, wait, you can question it all. You can change everything if you so choose. Yeah. And I liked how you specified that you didn't have a trust fund because I do hear from a lot of different people like, well, I don't have parents who can give me seed money to start something. Yeah. Or like, I am already broke from my current job. How do I start something now? So what would you say to people? Like, what would be that first step to try to get this idea off the ground if they don't have any capital of their own to start? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely nights and weekends. It's saving up enough money so you can live at least four to six months paying your rent, paying your bills. So really saving up like don't buy that coffee from Starbucks every single day. Maybe you like make your own coffee at home or you really start saving your money for six months of savings. If you can do that, that's a really great jump off point. So you can like jump off in earnest and go and try your hand at building the thing. And by the time you're at four months in and you don't, you haven't raised the money or you haven't sold anything or you haven't made the progress, you have two months to go and get a job <laughs> and then re-up your six month thing. I mean, life is short, but life is also long. You need to be smart about it. I know people who have lost their shirts and were too prideful to like go get a job and to re-up and they just like second mortgaged their homes or lost their savings and took their 401k. They were just so afraid to tell people that they didn't succeed the first time around. And like, that's also terrible as well. So it's like to be able to have the nest egg for yourself, to be able to live your life without worrying about paying your rent for six months and then doing it in a smart way. And then now you, you can do a Kickstarter, you can make a video, you can pre-sell, you can see if people are interested. And so many things say that didn't exist when I first started. And so there's just a lot of different ways to go about it. What I did was I formed a meeting of the mind. My first book is called Do Cool Shit. And the subtitle is Quit Your Day Job, Start Your Own Business and Live Happily Ever After. And in my book, Do Cool Shit, I talk about how I really raised the first $25,000 and how I really came up with the idea in the first place and what problem was I trying to solve and how did I get buying from people and what did I do when I messed up and how did I bounce back and how did I get pressed? Like all these questions that so many people are like, I don't know how to do these things. I put in the book, Do Cool Shit. And what I, the first thing I did was created a meeting of the minds where I basically invited, I handpicked 20 people in different walks of life so like an architect, a designer, an investment banker, a management consultant, a musician, a writer, every type of person I or in my life or who I knew through someone. And I wrote them an email and sent them a message being like, you have been handpicked as one of the smartest people that I know. And you've been invited to a meeting of the minds where we're going to come together. You're going to have a beautiful free meal. And a gorgeous apartment in New York City. I borrowed my friend's apartment. <laughs> and I, I like had my friend who's a chef cook a meal. And you'll get to meet 20 other people who you've never met before in your life who will be really good for you to collaborate with down the road. And so 
it made it a win-win. It wasn't like, can you come and can I pick your brain? Every time someone says, can I pick your brain? I'm like, delete, because they don't understand how to create a win-win situation. It's like, I don't even know you and you want to pick my brain? No, do it as you give first. And then when you give first, you'll get something in return. And so the offer that I gave is that you get to come to have a beautiful free meal and a beautiful apartment in New York City and get to meet other epically interesting, smart people. Guess what? 20 out of 20 confirmed. And so, because I made it a win for them. And by the way, I was like, and PS, we're going to be discussing my new business idea. And I hear some questions that like, you know, for you guys to think about. And it became a really fun way for these 20 people to come together, get to know each other and hear each other's perspectives on this new business idea. And this one dinner was supposed to be like two hours long with seven hours. I did this a couple of times because then all of a sudden everyone got really excited to like hear each other's perspectives. And, you know, we came up with the name of my business. We came up with the concept. We came up with the whole thing, everything in the business we brainstormed in those meeting of the minds because we had 20 different perspectives. Think about each question 20 different ways. And so it just distilled it to the best possible way. So like creating that win-win, don't ever like eliminate, don't ever ask people to pick their brains. Don't ever ask people, can I take it for coffee? They're just never going to work unless you're like a family friend, like you owe somebody a favor. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so don't do that. So just make it a win-win. If you don't have any connections, but guess what? You're a student at a college and you're like, hey, dear so-and-so, my name is Mickey and I'm at this school. I go to Cornell or wherever. And I know the editor in chief of the Cornell newspaper. And there are 30,000 Cornell students. I would like to set up an interview between you and the Cornell editor in chief and talk about your podcast and your business and what you're building. And like, let me make an introduction. And you're like, oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah. I'd be happy to. So then the interview happens. The article gets written. I then send you an email being like, hey, check out the link, the article that went out about you at the Cornell newspaper. And you'll be like, thank you so much. And then I'll say, yes, I have one quick question to ask you. Are you more likely to say yes to answering the question? Of course you are, because I just introduced your work to 30,000 people at Cornell. So people are like, people are like, I don't know anybody. Yes, you do. You can contact your editor. You can like figure it out to make it a win for the person so that they're more inclined to support you. But you lead with how can I help you versus how can you help me? And you watch how doors open wide. People just take, 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 take. We live in this take, take, take selfie generation. Me, 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 look at me. I need help. Oh my God, I can't believe, I can't believe you didn't. And we just live in this crazy world where it's just like, no, help me. And it's human nature to want to help you back. That's so basic. We forgot it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. I'm so glad that you brought this up. I was just having this long vent session with somebody (laughs) recently because I was like, man, ever since I created a popular podcast, the amount of people that want to take me out to coffee is insane. And I'm like, I don't have enough time in the day to coffee date everybody. Like it's a lot. And that's one of the things that really has led to my success the most is my ability to what my friend called relationship scaling where Mm -hmm. there's certain relationships that I have that have been highly valuable, that have turned into major mentors for me. But it started by me first following what they were doing, buying their courses, adding a ton of value in there, sharing my wins so I became their like number one case study, and then going to in-person events enough times. And I still don't sit there and ask for an hour of their time. I'll ask a question or two or I'll send them gifts. But it's me giving most of the value because I know that one sentence from them might be worth all of that. <laughs> no, a hundred percent. And it's like you give, 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 then ask. You give, 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 then ask. The more you give, it's a perfect, gorgeous example of what I'm talking about is that like, When you show up and you show up and you show up again and you give value and you give value and you like make a testimonial that's good for them. And they're like, oh my God, this person is so supportive. Wow. And then they're like, yeah, of course, if you want, now you're launching a podcast, I'm in. It's like, (laughs) duh, right? It's like, that's how humans operate. But if you lead with like, take, 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 
the world. And then you get butt hurt when you, when the person doesn't say yes, you know what I mean? It's like when someone's like, I can't believe she didn't say yes to me. Good. What a bitch. And just like, yeah, because you're not approaching it properly. Like you're just living in this selfie generation world where you don't understand how to build a real relationship. Taking is not the way to do that. A huge part of it comes back to, like you said, this is how humans work. This is how our minds work. This is how we feel enticed. There was something that just set me off the other day because somebody posted an article about who's the climate change chick. I want to say Gretchen, but wait, Greta Thunberg. Yes. Greta Thunberg. They're like, look, she's caused this whole storm of uprising, but there's this guy over here that I can't remember his name because that's how it works, where he's like, has apparently the solution to everything. And they were comparing and it's like, look at what's wrong with us humans, whereas this works for us, but this doesn't, and she doesn't have a plan. And I'm like, well, first of all, there can be an assembly. (laughs) (laughs) And there can be an assembly line of action here. She's doing her part. What she's doing is how it works. Like that's how our brains work. It's the emotion that uprises us. So you have to meet people where they are and then sure, pass the baton to somebody who has a clearly laid out plan. Like stop expecting the 16 year old to completely change the world. She's already doing that in her own way. Yes. And it's so interesting that you said that because in my book, Disrupt Her, I talk about meeting people where they are. And I actually talked about that in one of my recent Instagram posts about how it's like a much, much, much more lasting way to create a unification is by meeting people where they are and then educating them from that place. Then I get these comments, people being like, okay, so when you run into a misogynistic person or a sexist man and they say something sexist, you have to just meet them where they are and just speak their language. And then like, I'm not going to do that because that's bullshit. I'm not going to just have to lower myself. And I'm like, okay, well then good luck because the minute you get outraged as your first thing, guess what they're going to say? Look at this hysterical woman. They're going to go back to their boys and be like, oh, those feminist women are again just complaining versus say something back. I talk about in my book, Disruptor, like triple Q technique, quip, question, quit, quit back first, question, then quit. Quipping back means you meet people where they are. You basically speak their language and then you educate them. And you'd be like, once you're in, once you meet them where they are and speak their language, because most people, they just don't know any better. It's not like they're trying to be sexist, misogynistic pigs and they're trying to be asshole. They just have been taught in a world where no one's corrected them. No one's told them otherwise. They work in a misogynistic world themselves. And when they say shit, no one says anything. So they think it's okay. That's just the way they are. We have to give people the benefit of the doubt. Instead, it's like immediately. And this is why I think the left is just as bad as the right. I think that CNN is just as bad as Fox. There's just this outrage and All that wins is actually they're doing it on purpose. CNN and Fox are doing it on purpose because all that wins is the media, is themselves. Because people click on these clickbait headlines and then the advertisers get, they can then renew the advertising contracts because these clickbait (laughs) headlines are creating these divisiveness, which is what people are leaning towards because our fight or flight part of our brain kicks in when we're seeing these clickbait headlines and it's just feeding in to the divisiveness. So outrage simply does not work. And so- When I see these comments of people being like, oh, you just want to succumb to their bullshit. It's just like, actually, meeting people where they are is the thing that creates lasting change because then you can educate them in a way that feels where their armor is down, not when their armor is up. Never work. Yeah, it's so true. It's like, do you want to hold on to your pride or do you want to actually 
pave the way for a little bit of change, like actually yeah. get somebody to see you as a human instead of an obstacle <laughs> so that you can kind of weasel into their mind. It reminds me of the status quo that was disrupted long ago about how you'd hear behind every great man is a woman. And it, like the visual of like a couple in the fifties was like this woman just slowly pretending that everything was his idea. you know, And, <laughs> and it sounds so outdated now, but it's also exactly how things work. It just doesn't need yeah. to be just men to, or women to men yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting because when the beginning of my relationship with Andrew, my husband of now, we've been together for eight years. We, we got married last year, but in the beginning of our relationship, he was addicted to porn. In his porn addiction, I would get really upset. And it was a perfect microcosm of what I'm talking about is I would get upset, like you're gross, like how dare you watch these abused women fucked in a way that's gross. And I just find this to be disgusting. And like, how dare you? And what we talked about would be actually recently resolved around that whole storyline is that the shaming didn't work, made him want to like not tell me it just didn't create that resolution. Like it actually didn't work. So only when I met him where he was in his emotional state where it's like, Hey, I've been watching porn since I'm like fucking 11 years old. And it's a place where I, I learned how to release tension. And it's not that I don't love you or disrespect you or whatever. It's just what I've been learned and taught. And whenever you make me feel like shit and shame me for it, it makes me want to be more defiant about it. And like, and like, it's like, I'm an adult, like you're not telling me not what I can and cannot do. And I just like, oh, it's just a perfect microcosm of like the rest of the world. And so I finally, what I finally did was like, I actually eliminate, I removed the porn rule in our household. And I'm like, you know what? You want to watch porn? Like, he's just like, I don't want to watch porn. But like, I, don't <laughs> I only want shamed. to if you don't want me to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, I just don't want to be shamed about it. And so I'm just like, oh, okay, interesting. And, and now we're opening up a conversation about like conscious porn and like maybe it'll help him unlock like ways of touching me differently and maybe it'll teach him some new techniques. And I'm like, oh, interesting. That sounds great. And so it's now no longer this contentious, staunch, like us against each other in this one thing, but we've now come together I chosen to finally meet him where he is. And it actually created a deeper resolution that I believe is going to be lasting. And it's like, gosh, why can't we do that for all the other experiences in our life? All the other contentious things in our life where we believe we're so right. And it just, it doesn't create the change. And a lot of times it goes just deeper layers than that, because I've had those same feelings. I actually used to watch a crap ton of porn growing up. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just like something I started doing. But then I started reading about how it like rewires your brain and all this stuff. Yeah. And so then I remember being a little uptight about it with my husband, but it wasn't about him watching porn or like me being jealous about it. It took me a while to get to the layers, but it was more about number one, the competition of what was I supposed to live up to? Number two, yeah. learning the wrong techniques that I yeah. already knew that I didn't like. And so, but when you start to peel it back like that, then you can come to solution like, hey, yeah, watch your porn. But what if I pick some that I actually think is going to heighten our sexual relationship and like yes. send it to you or whatever and come to a common ground? Because a lot of times what we think we're fighting against is our own internal struggle about something completely different. A hundred percent. Like I said to him, I'm like, you know, when you watch porn or when you watch this kind of porn with like big boobed women or whatever, it made me insecure. Like, does it mean that you don't like my 
small boobs or does it make you make I you know whatever you know what I mean and I just yeah. it made me feel insecure and he was like no I love your butt I love your boobs I love your it was just something like attention release that he's been just used to his you know so like he doesn't want to watch it's just something that he's been fighting himself on but then also defiant because I'm so shamey of him so it's kind of like been this thing so once you remove the shame it actually makes it much easier for him to make the decision for himself I yeah. love the idea that you said about quipping back too. when our first instinct is to become defensive and put up our walls, because again, then it's like two bricks just beating each other. But it reminds me of there's a new podcast out right now, Barbara or Dolly Parton's America. And it's talking about how she's remained this icon, even in the divide of the entire country, whereas one hand, she's like this Christian woman from the South. On the other hand, the gays also love her. And she's just somehow has always crossed the divide. And one of the first things they talked about was it would bring up her Barbara Walters interview where a long time ago, she seemed to be the butt of every joke. Like, you know, Dolly Parton with her big tits and like just walking out with her big hair and everything. And Barbara Walters asked her real seriously, like, well, do you think you're the butt of the joke or whatever? And she basically comes back and she's like, well, let's said something about like, well, I'll just bring up my tits right away because might as well get it off our chest now. She's like, I choose to look like this. So why would I get all worked up if somebody talks about it? It's easier. Basically, she says just to quip back and bring right. it up first or make it. She's like, in that way, the joke's on them. And it's just this little way of how she's just been able to befriend each side without yeah. getting all hostile. And it's made her like the number one American icon. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, this is me. This is my body. And rather than getting hurt or offended or this, we live in an offended world where it's like, I was talking to a guy today who was the sweetest, loveliest, most epic dude. And he was just like, I was walking down the street the other day and this like big old black lady was like, you're sexy and walked by. And he was like, Thank you. And he was like so touched. And he was like, it means so much to me. And he's like, I kept thinking if I walked down the street and told a woman I thought she was sexy, it would be like so much outrage. You can't even tell a person that like, he's like this old lady told me I'm sexy. And I was like, so touched. We live in a world where it's so hard to say anything, to be anything, to do anything without there being such a on whatever oh you said the wrong pronoun and you're this and you're that and how dare you and oh every day there's news this that and the other that people get offended by and it's getting exhausting you know yeah. and so it was interesting to hear him be like I was just so happy when she told me I was sexy and I was like oh god tell me about it. I kind of like it when a construction worker walks by and he's like <laughs> hola mami and I'm like hola papi and it's just funny <laughs> and we just laugh and it's just funny Yeah, it's like the victimhood culture in general. And so much of our outrage is learned from watching everyone else get outraged, which is ridiculous. But it's funny because you have a whole chapter about haters and how the common belief is that haters are going to hate and once a hater, always a hater. But you talk about how the disruption of that is that haters exist within all of us. And the faster that we catch ourselves, the faster we can go back to being lovers. 
But it's so true because so many of those judgments or the whatever I get offended by is oftentimes somehow a reflection of something that I need to already work on or a wound that needs to be dealt with. And so if we could look at instead of getting offended and automatically lashing it forwards towards that person, stop and be grateful and say, hey, thank you for the opportunity of showing me an area that still needs work. A hundred percent. And we also are such good storytellers in our head and we're meaning making machines and we make meaning out of everything. And we're like, oh, I can't believe she looked at me that way. And then like the girl, you know, who looked at me that way was like, oh yeah, I just sneezed and I just made this face or something like that. And you're like, (laughs) and then you thought that she like looked at you. You know what I mean? And you're just like, you're just making meaning out of all this shit. It's so funny because like last night, actually, I went to my girlfriend's house, you know, I sent her a message and I was like, you know, I want to have a clearing with you. And she immediately wrote back and she was like, oh my God, I'll cook you dinner tomorrow. Let's talk about it. It was lovely. It was beautiful. And so we like, I went to her house to, like last night and we just like, sometimes I feel like you're so warm and loving towards me. And then sometimes I feel like you're curt and cold and mean and I can't read you. And that makes me feel emotionally unsafe. And I just want to like say that out loud because I really want to deepen our relationship and I don't know who I'm getting and that makes me feel uncomfortable. And then she started crying and just shared a story of how she grew up in high school and her best friend was her enemy, like the frenemy thing. And there was like, she grew up in this mean girl world. So she closes up in social settings or she closes up in certain settings that where she gets triggered by something. She's like, it's always me. And I always think that I'm like the meek one. And I'm like, that's so interesting. Cause I always think like you're this power bitch. And like, <laughs> we had such different perspectives and only when we got together and just had the conversation about it where we like, oh, we just made complete different meaning over something that was just our own shit. It's true. Like so often we tend to call someone a bitch or like tell them they're whatever because we feel something within ourselves and that it's just like, it's easier to talk shit than to be like, you know what? That person makes me feel emotionally unsafe. I'm just going to talk shit about her, you know? So instead for me, it was such a beautiful example, us going to each other, meeting each other, both of us willing to have the conversation and both of us be willing to open up our own traumas of our lives. Of like when I went through this trauma, this is how I cope with it. This is when I went through this trauma, so I cope with it. So maybe like when we're going through these things, we don't mean it that way, but that's just how it's coming across because we've been through shit and that's just how we protect ourselves. And just by both of us crying together yesterday and understanding each other, I now feel a kinship to her deeper than I ever have because of that clearing. And I think so many times we're just not brave enough or interested to really know what's happening on the other side. And we just want to fucking judge because we we judge ourselves the most. And it's just like, I just feel like even this past weekend, like I was feeling insecure about certain things. And I like shared that with a couple of friends and they were like, man, like I never thought you were insecure and like, you know, whatever. And I was like, yeah, I feel like an outsider sometimes in my own community. And while I know I'm loved, I still feel that way. It's just a normal feeling, I guess. And they're like, wow, like I feel that way too sometimes. And I'm like, really? Like, and we just had this like beautiful moment of coming together around that too. And so it's just the more we can share ourselves, because like I grew up with parents saying like, get through it, 
stuff under the rug, like move fast, like don't fucking talk about your feelings. Like feelings are seeing a therapist is so stupid or seeing anyone a life coach, like what's coaching, you know, like, <laughs> and I would just stuff all these emotions under a rug and then they would come out in these outbursts. And only until I started sharing like my truth. And it's so funny because like every time I share my feelings, like even today I start, I burst into tears because like <laughs> I feel so vulnerable and I feel so exposed and I feel so uncomfortable. And I just, because it's still so foreign to me to be like, and then I feel insecure. Ah, like, does that make me not feel strong? Or does it make me feel, you know? And, but what it's actually doing is making this, there feel a lot more kinship. And I feel like when we do that with the other side, if we do that with people that were the the left and the right, if we find the humanity, it's just like, ugh, it's going to be so much better. Yeah. I have a few great friends nowadays, which I just have a lot of gratitude for because of the way we've been able to come together and just communicate. Like something similar happened just the other day where somebody said, your judgment on this is important to me because of this and whatever it was. And I was just like, oh, I don't have any judgment. (laughs) I'm not judging this. And we kind of came together to a really good place. And we both had slight misconceptions. Both of us also, I mean, sometimes I just do stuff and I don't always see what it comes across on the other side. Cause I'm just like acting in my regular patterns. And there's a lot of things, like you said, when we've dealt with trauma or when we've just been living our life in a certain way, we have these neural connections that are so formed that it goes on autopilot. So I might snap back on certain things because I'm not yet disrupting that area of thought or questioning that thing that I do sometimes. And so it just takes somebody holding a mirror up in a very loving way. I mean, you can come back and try to shame me or get angry at me or whatever. And I'm going to automatically, the brain just starts to justify those current behaviors. And then it forms, it kind of digs in that behavior even more because we don't want to be considered irrational. But if you come to somebody, meet them where they are in a loving way, you seem receptive and approachable, then a real conversation can happen. And we both changed a little by the end of it. We both came to this place and learned something. And I was so grateful to be able to have a friendship like that or As I evolve, I remember years and years ago looking at somebody else's friendship and being like, man, I don't have any friends that I can do that with. But it first took changing myself and the way I interact with people. And now all of a sudden, years later, I'm like, all of my friends are like that now. But it took like the iterative process of me being this new way for long enough that I started to attract those types of people and also gave people permission to have those conversations with me. And so the change starts with yourself, not convincing somebody else, you should be acting this way or you should be feeling this or whatever it is. I know. And that's also like, it's what I've learned. I've had a coach for the last six years. I've also lived with a partner who's, you know, does a lot of deep gestalt work. He does men's retreats and helps men really master their emotions because men are not taught to emote. And so he leads men on these retreats. It's called the Junto. And he leads men on these Junto retreats and just helps them really expose their emotional selves. And it's really, really powerful healing work. And so just by working with them, the minute you point fingers, people freeze up. But the minute you say, like, I feel this way. When this happened, I felt insecure. Or when this happened, I felt hurt. Or I felt triggered. Or I felt these things. And then you go from there. When you start with that present tense, I feel statement, it's not attacking the other person. You're sharing your feelings. People can't take your feelings away from you. They can just say, oh, what I meant was, but it's not going to be like, oh, well, you did this and you did that. And it's more like I felt hurt or I felt 
misunderstood or I felt sad or I felt, and then it's like the person could then really hold those feelings a different way. I know a lot of people though, even have a problem owning their own feelings or like standing in that power, which is really hard. And that's something that I have really just respected about you is that you are just who you are, no matter where you are. You have a certain style in the way you dress, a leadership style, just like unapologetically you. So how do you keep that courage no matter what you're doing or no matter who tries to clap back at you or tries to hold you down? How do you bring that out still? Someone asked me today, how do you build a business? And I think the first question, the first thing I say as the same question is like, is by starting by building your community first and by really nurturing those relationships. Like you said, showing up, like even if you're busy AF, showing up for others, if friends are having a trouble and they want to come over and cry on your shoulder, say yes immediately. Perfect example, yesterday when I was feeling something, my friend immediately said, yes, I'll cook you dinner tomorrow. The willingness, and she's a badass boss as well. And to be able to like, say yes and clear your calendar for the next night to really have a clearing and create that space. doesn't matter how busy you are. That's that soft landing pad that when I do go through all the shit and I've been through so much in my businesses and in life to be able to know that I've shown up for my friends so deeply that I went through one of the most traumatic times with one of my businesses and was just really, really saddened by the experience. I had 20 friends come over with a boombox and flowers and play songs <laughs> and danced around me like Kumbaya style. And I cried and we all cried and we all just like held space and they held space for me. And that healed me so much faster, got me back on my feet. Yeah, it took me six months, almost a year to really fully feel like myself again in a lot of ways. But I was back on the horse and still did things emotionally. I was still tender, but having people, I think I was not alone for one day for one whole year and mm-hmm. fr- at least a friend or two or visit and bring food or we talked or we chatted. I would talk about their life and they just kept me company. And it was a very beautiful thing. And it just showed me that if we show up for others, they will show up for you when you're going through shit. And that's not why you should show up for people, but it does make it so much easier to bounce back from a challenging, shitty, painful experience. Yeah, it's funny because I recently asked Judith Regan, who for listeners out there, she's just like a badass editor, producer, book publisher. She interviewed OJ Simpson's The Lost Confession. Anyway, she is one of the most badass women that I know. And I asked her like, well, what are you most proud of in after all of that, the stuff that you've accomplished. And she was just like, it's my relationships and my connections. And she was proud of her kids. And she says, when everything's stripped away, it's always back to your connections, whether you want to build your dream or you just want to like enjoy your dream. It's still about those connections. Yeah. It's like, what are people going to remember when you're dead? Yeah. Like, yeah, you help change culture in a lot of ways. Like that's cool. But it's also like, oh no, we had epic adventures together. We had such deep conversations together. We had such growth together. And that's actually the most poignant, I think. Well, thank you so much for all the wisdom that you shared. And again, for creating one of my favorite books of the year and for all that you're disrupting because that's so necessary. And so for listeners who are resonating and want to learn more about you or read your stuff, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? Definitely Instagram. You can check out just my handle at Mickey Agarwal on Instagram. 
or on my website. If you go to mickeyagarwal.com, there's like a contact page there. Also, something I'd love to share is that I have a email, 52 Weeks of Disruptive Moves, and it's free. And if you just sign up on my Instagram or subscribe page on mickeyagarwal.com, you can have access to 52 disruptive moves for free. And it's, I spent months with my team working on it. And I think it's, it's, it's artful. It's designed. It's like fun. It gives you a question. It makes you think every week a nugget, definitely check it out. So go to, yeah, mickeyagrawl.com, subscribe, or just on my Instagram. And I respond to pretty much all my DMs. So if you guys have any questions, you can DM me. Oh, and please check out hellotushy.com. Do not go to tushy.com. It's a very graphic porn site. I made that mistake. Hellotushy.com. It will change your life. All the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 111. Ooh, 111, special number. How exciting. And right around the new year. This must mean that my 2020 is going to be amazing. Well, I promised those of you who stuck around to the end a powerful exercise, and we call this a belief audit. The thing is, is most of us unconsciously act out and react to millions of beliefs each day, but a lot of us can't really identify that first triggering belief. But when we commit to a belief audit, we bring awareness to our beliefs, and then we're able to link the behavior and the emotions to that triggering belief. Once we do that, we can challenge those beliefs. Are they true? Are they bullshit? Are they leading to the best version of you? And once we start to challenge anything mentally, that's when we're finally able to change it and let it go. A quote from Tony Robbins that I think is so perfect for this is, the challenge is most of us do not consciously decide what we're going to believe. Instead, often our beliefs are misinterpretations of past events. Meaning we're misinterpreting things that are going on right in front of us, and then we're living our lives like that is absolute truth. Here's an example. Say your first boyfriend cheated on you, and then every subsequent relationship after that, you are reacting to anything as if that man is cheating on you, almost blaming him for something that he didn't do. Or you are afraid of marriage because you don't believe marriages stay together because your parents were divorced. Or you failed a few times, so you don't believe that you are capable of success, so you don't even try anymore. So a belief audit is a two-step process. First, you identify your beliefs, and this step requires tracing behavior and feelings back to the triggering belief. And second, you challenge the belief's validity, which means looking at the belief critically and actively choosing to accept it or let it go. This can be time consuming, but you can do it over the process of a few days or a few weeks or even your lifetime. Maybe you have a notepad on your phone or you carry around a journal and you start to just choose to bring awareness to the beliefs that are causing your actions. And even if you might not know exactly what those are right now, that commitment and that choice is going to make your brain think in a different way. It's like setting your brain with a goal, which brings more awareness to the things that you otherwise would just pass by and accept as a part of your daily routine. And I'd love to know how it goes. So reach out to me and share some of the things that you found at MindLoveMelissa on Instagram. If you're not connected with me there already, I highly recommend you do because I have been 
chatting with a lot of you guys via voice messages on Instagram. And it's been a lot of fun to get to know who you are, what your struggles are, and all those things so that I can better help you through this podcast. So connect with me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. And also, if you didn't get the memo at the beginning of this podcast, don't forget to sign up for the Morning Mind Love at mindlove.com or text MORNING to 444-999. I hope you all had a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah, whatever your belief of choice is. And thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.